The Start. On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on a Wednesday morning. And I presume Jets fans feeling a little bit better today. Greg, how are you feeling? A little bit better. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, The Jets now destined to face the Oilers. That's uh, set in stone. 5-0 win over Vancouver last night. Blake Wheeler, four-point night. Looking quite dominant. Connor Hellebuck, his second shutout and three starts. So uh, when's the last time we had a positive ratio with regard to a Jet statistic, Loren? And uh, tough to argue with the notion that Paul Stastny's kids perhaps stole the show last night. Yeah, I was just looking to see if I could get some audio ready to go for you guys because I watched a couple things with them. He celebrated, of course, his thousandth, 1,000th game uh, in the NHL, and he, his kids were there last night, but they also had a video where they were wishing him congratulations and, like, two cute kids, you're like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, I, you're like, Dad, I love you. And I was like, this is the best. The sentiment like, is, but I but, can't understand a single right, word. But I know exactly what you're trying to stay, say because they were so pumped for their dad and he was really thrilled and, and humbled, I think, and he even talked about how he had a hard time. He didn't want to look at the camera. He's not used to having the camera on him in the uh, warm-up. He just didn't want to fall, he said. You know, it was such a big day for him. And it was actually one of those kind of things you like to see. I mean, he's had a lifelong love of the game. He's got a gr- his family is an incredible connection. I think his dad is a Hall of Famer. His uncles were in the NHL. He's got an older brother uh, who played. So it just was really neat to see that. And, and something positive to talk about, Brett? Yes, positivity, lots of positivity to discuss. And so we've got Jets update with Paul Edmonds at 6.55. We've got the sounds of the game coming up at 7.55. And we've also got our weekly Jets chat today. It's Wednesday, so that's coming up at 7.37. And on the subject of positivity, yesterday we saw vaccine eligibility drop to 24+. plus. Producer Jeff Forte. Oh, yeah. Did you book it? I booked it. Yes, when? Uh... That is May 26th, so it's in a few weeks still. But uh, hey, at least I got the appointment. I'm ready to go. That a boy. And Poitras is the same age as you, right? That's correct. He's also got his his appointment booked. And then, uh, Loren, we got word ye- ahead of today, yesterday, pretty early yesterday, that they're dropping it to 18. Yeah, I want to share. I mean, I don't want to share everything we exchanged in our group chat last yesterday afternoon because I had some expletives involved in it. However, you know, this is how we were feeling around three o'clock yesterday, right? I write, uh, you're telling us all about Fort Chase booked and we're like, woohoo. And then I write, Manitoba's introduced paid leave for vaccines, which is great, great. And Greg reacts saying that's great. That's lots of positive news. And I said, and apparently we're moving things down to 18 plus today or, you know, tomorrow's what I wrote yesterday. And, and just let's get those vaccines out. And we had a positive reaction. And then like within the next 30 minutes, <laughs> Greg, you wrote to say, sorry, uh, did Ontario just suspend the use? of AstraZeneca. And that's where things shifted for us because, of course, we've been working on people's questions and and some concerns over the rare risk of blood clots with that vaccine. And and all three of us have it. And so the question marks, and this is where the expletives came in, if I'm being honest, that's where they arose for us. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I I really put it on you. I'm sorry. I kind of put you on the spot there. But listen, like, 
we're going to try no, to work I, through this today. We want to yeah, answer your yeah. questions, but we were feeling what? Like, Greg, we, uh, uh, was my thought yes. yesterday. <laughs> yeah. No. Hey, listen, we aren't uh, always eloquent off the air or on the air for that matter. But uh, I know at, at this point in time, I'm, look, I would take this, I would take this vaccine over again based on what it's trying to accomplish. But I would be lying to you if I didn't say I was disappointed in how things went down yesterday and some of the information we're learning from Ontario. I've taken my direction from the experts that I trust. Henceforth, I will be doing the same. And I'm looking forward to visiting with Cynthia Carr this morning because I would really like to get her take on this, on the stats, on where the disconnect might be and, and how... I ought to be feeling about this moving forward because I've got a second shot to get. What do I do? Am I going to get one? Is it going to be okay if it's not AstraZeneca? Do I want AstraZeneca? Uh, Lots of questions for lots of people this morning, and we're going to do our darndest to get the answers that you expect us to get. Was that okay for something that I just kind of wanted to just go? (laughs) We had to work through it yesterday, right? And I think like you said it right. I was confident in the science then. I appreciate science is evolving and everything around this vaccine is. And so, yep, I listened to the news reports. We're going to play some more at 6.37, Brett. We'll talk more at 7 with Cynthia. And if you've got questions, shoot them our way. 780-6868. We'll try to get them answered. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, remote learning starts this morning for thousands of Winnipeg and Brandon students. Yeah, kindergarten to grade 12, Brett, all starting to learn from home today. And right now the plan is for them to stay home until May 30th, although there are many wondering and worrying if COVID cases will improve enough to ease up on this plan and current restrictions. Either way, the next few weeks mean a lot of change for teachers and families. Some parents may have kids who are old enough to stay home alone. Some may have at least one parent at home who can make sure their kids are logging on to work with their teachers. Many parents are teachers and will be juggling both roles, while other moms and dads, Loren, might be making arrangements with family members or babysitters. And we recognize there's all sorts of things going on here for many families. And and then there are those Gregs who right now are wonder, feeling like they don't have an option. So earlier this week, one of our listeners texted us about her colleague, Lucy. Lucy is a healthcare aide and a mom of two, one kid in elementary school, the other in daycare. Lucy is a single mom, so there's no partner or no family who can step in and help right now. And as of my text exchange with her last night, she actually has no idea what she's going to do with her kids this morning or over the next few weeks. Can she take a leave? Would she still get paid? Can she do a sick leave? Can she quit and collect EI or CERB or is that still a thing? Or does she go to work and then pay someone else to watch her daughter and help her with schoolwork? I lose money that way because if I had somebody to come look at my kids for me, I had to pay them by hour. And I'd rather just stay home and look after my kids. It's my responsibility as a mother, right? Instead of working hard and then paying out the same money again. So it it doesn't make sense. So I'd rather just stay home. So that's what Lucy did last year, eventually. But for the first couple of weeks, she says she actually tried to juggle it all and found it was just too much. I tried my best to um, battle going to work and what, looking after my kids. But it doesn't work that way because um, I have to pay somebody to look after my kids at home. And 
you can't trust everybody, you know. And then I had to quit my job and well not quit, I had to stop working and stay home with my, my kids. That's the sacrifice I have to make as a mom for my kids. But then you had no income coming in. So did you collect the CERB or what did how did you make that work for you? I did. I had to because um I don't have any source of income coming in, so that was my only um a source of income per se at that time because um it was really tough that time you know and you will sit home you will spend all your savings on bills groceries and all that kind of stuff if you don't have any money coming in then what's the point you know you use all your resources so at that time when the government was given money it was really helpful for us so she worked her something out with her employer, and they were great then. She says she says they're working through her with this now. But in theory, theory this window is shorter, right? It's only supposed to go to May thirtieth, and so she's trying to figure out: Are they really going to be home for a few weeks? What makes the most sense? She doesn't want to collect again from the government, but she also doesn't want to pay someone else to watch her kids and leave them. And so she's just kind of at a loss. Stressful. It's it's really stressful. It's really frustrating. It's it's. I don't know how to put it, but as a single mother, if you pull through this pandemic, then you are a hero. <laughs> you know, you are a hero. You know, this is what, like, you don't know what your parents were going through when they had you until you have your own children. That's when you know it's really tough. Boy, Lucy sounds like an amazing mom. It sounds and feels as though she has all the right priorities, but is sort of stuck in the middle. What if you don't have an employer who's understanding? What if you can't even, even if you're prepared to make the arrangements Lucy's made or is prepared to make and and you simply can't find the resources, you don't have the financial resource or you can't find anybody to sort of spell you off and, and help you with your kids this is a real tough one for a lot of folks, and boy, oh boy, do I ever feel it for whoever's going through that today, scrambling, maybe not even knowing as of this moment how you're going to make it through today, how you're going to accommodate work and kids and school. This is this is a tough one, Lauren. Yeah, I felt for her, and I, like I said, I texted her last night, and I was like, what are you thinking? And she just said, I don't know. So I imagine Ugh. she might try that hybrid model again where her kids come with her or she, you know, she tries a little bit of babysitting in between the hours that she has to work. Like, you know, the stress that everybody is feeling this year to go through it again, I, that's so hard for so many moms and dads. There was a lot to cheer yesterday on the vaccine front. Manitoba introduced paid leave for anyone needing time for a vaccine. The premier announced that vaccine eligibility would drop to 18 plus today. More and more people we know getting the shot and getting their appointments, Greg. Yes, it was like the Jets scoring a goal and then seven seconds later, the Vegas Golden Knights scoring a goal. Uh, Then Ontario announced it was halting its first doses of AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine amid an increased risk in rare blood clots linked to the shot. That decision came after Alberta made a similar move, saying it's primarily because of the vaccine's dwindling supply. And Loren, I guess... We're in the middle here. All three of us have had the AstraZeneca 
shot the first uh, one at least and no negative impact so far to any one of us. But I would say when you have people like us wondering about the rollout and wondering and and pondering, gee whiz, what is the actual information here? People who are strong proponents of this, I think you've got a problem. Yeah, and at first we both discussed maybe it's the supply issue. Is that that makes sense to me? If we're going to hold some doses back because folks like us and right around the country need that second dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine, but in Ontario that's not the case. They're talking about hitting pause out of the abundance of caution because of new data for them on this rare link to blood clots. And again, stressing the rare theirs. And so for sure, we have questions for our Manitoba team. We typically hear from our vaccine task force on Wednesday. So we are going to figure out what their reaction is to this news. But in the meantime, we know thousands of Manitobans have taken that first dose and have questions. So here's Global's Eric Sorensen on what's being said concerning the evolving science around this vaccine. Ontario has joined Alberta in pausing the use of AstraZeneca vaccines for first doses. Cases of blood clots after use of AstraZeneca have increased slightly from 1 in 100,000 to 1 in 60,000, still extremely rare. But it's one factor in Ontario's decision to limit AstraZeneca to second doses. This decision was made out of an abundance of caution due to an observed increase in the rare blood clotting condition known as vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia. Alberta was the first to stop using AstraZeneca for first doses. It's not about higher risk for AstraZeneca, says this specialist. The supply has dwindled of AstraZeneca, and so they are no longer able to provide um, enough vaccines to uh, give everybody the second dose. If there's enough Pfizer and Moderna vaccine to, to replace the AstraZeneca, then I think that that is a reasonable thing to do. Up to now, more than 2 million doses of AstraZeneca have been distributed across Canada, but it represents less than 13% of the total. Moderna accounts for 22% and Pfizer over 64% of total vaccines distributed. But AstraZeneca's share will shrink further. Ottawa is expecting 1 to 2 million doses of AstraZeneca by the end of June. But more than 18 million doses are coming from Pfizer. The Pfizer share is sure to increase. Use of AstraZeneca will decrease to below 10%. Officials in Ottawa still recommend AstraZeneca for first dose and second. So we will uh, make sure that those who got the AstraZeneca vaccine, the first dose, can be provided with a second dose. At the same time, we're following the evolving science. The evolving science, however, includes a UK study expected late tomorrow that may advise that a second dose doesn't have to be the same vaccine as the first dose, which may tilt toward even greater use of Pfizer and Moderna. What I do uh, have concerns with is, you know, the ongoing uh, discussion, you know, what dose number two looks like for those of us who got AstraZeneca. Public health officials say AstraZeneca remains a safe vaccine, period. But it looks like it will be used less going forward. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. So there's lots to take in there. I had said off the top, I get it, that when it comes to these vaccines, evolving is the right word, right? What What we might know today, we've said this all along, might change tomorrow and we have to accept that. I'm curious what this will do to how other provinces are rolling it out across the country and what they might do with that information. I'd like to know what 
the risk remains in this province versus elsewhere, elsewhere, because there's so many numbers that get thrown around, Greg, about how it's about its efficacy, first of all, which I I think is growing and is strong. And then, of course, about this incidence of rare blood clots. So we'll have more questions for Cynthia Carr after seven. Brett, are, was it a full roller coaster ride for you on this announcement today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Because when they, when they announced, like we were, we were all caught off guard that Monday morning where they said, hey, uh, 40 plus, you can go get the AstraZeneca right now. And with, so within two hours of leaving here, I was getting the shot and I was proud to do it. And to, I was to see so many Gen Xers running out and getting their vaccines. It felt we felt like we were this scrappy band of rebels taking advantage of this vaccine that was just sitting on shelves. And now, when you see this news coming out of Ontario, it makes me wonder: like, if if they that study out of the UK that says you can if you if you can mix vaccines, if I'm given the choice, do you want to proceed with AstraZeneca or do you want to get Pfizer? I don't know how I'm going to proceed. So I'm looking forward to our chat with Cynthia just after 7 o'clock. We want to have a conversation about your worst car. Text us at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about the worst car you've ever had. and or Maybe you've never had a bad car, but maybe you have a friend who had a bad car. Like I had a buddy who drove like a vomit green Maverick, and then he followed that up with a orange Monza <laughs> And then after that, a uh, black. <laughs> and then after that, he had a, a black Acadian, which was the Pontiac equivalent of the Chevette, if you recall that. They were all garbage automobiles, but lots of great <laughs> memories goofing off in those cars when we were teenagers. So tell us a story 204 780 6868. Let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun, let's start with you, sir. My worst car was absolutely my 1986 Dodge Shadow, and I had it in the mid-90s when I was living in Brandon, going to college there, and it was the kind of car that when you get on the Trans-Canada and head west towards Brandon, it gets, you know, hilly, like, well, hilly for Manitoba, it's a glorified speed bump anywhere else in the world, really, but I'd see a hill coming, and I would literally have to floor just floor it and try to get up to about 110 or 120 even just so i'd be going 70 by the time i got to the top of that hill (laughs) because it would just slow right down and it and it leaked oil i've never i would have to i would buy um oil by the case by like a pallet of oil (laughs) and it would use three liters on a trip from eltona to brandon one three liters there and three liters back i just have to fill it up and it'd be empty by the time i got there and i just you know keep my eye on that oil light the whole time it was just it was just the worst car i should never have had it oh boy that's uh (laughs) good for you it probably makes you appreciate your current automobile nispa oh absolutely okay absolutely fortier uh for me i never had a bad car but uh one of my friends back in the day uh, when we were teenagers, he had a little two-door Suzuki Swift. Didn't have power steering, you know, kind of falling apart. Didn't take care of it. <laughs> and I remember when camping one time, and, like, we had, like, this thing is so small. We had to fit everything in there with me and two of my friends. And, uh, oh, I'm telling you, it was scary going down the highway. You, you know, it was like, it sounded like a lawnmower, you know? <laughs> 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 Going down the highway, and I just remember, like, grabbing onto dear life, not letting go. Oh, it was the worst thing ever. Uh, Poitras. Uh, well, it's got to be uh, my Dodge Caravan that my mom gave me when I was a kid that we didn't take care of at all. We, we called it the uh, the green 
uh, insert curse word for uh, old world illegitimate child. It was... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> it was uh, Bubbles' uh, wrestling name for Trailer Park Boys. For yes. people who are wondering what it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we we shot the brakes on that thing. It didn't stop. Uh, doors, were, <laughs> panels were falling off. There was so much garbage in the back. My grandpa looked behind there and says, "What are you guys doing?" Uh, the, the stereo didn't work. We beat the living heck out of this thing. It could barely drive. Like, my dad took it to, he's like, oh, I'll go fill up the tank for you for you kids. He goes and drives it, and he puts on the brakes, and the brake pads were completely shot. He flies through a stop sign when he was trying to stop. He comes home. He grabs the keys. He says, you were never getting this back. You were never driving that car again. And that was the end of it, and uh, that was the end of the, uh, that was the end of my beautiful, wonderful Dodge Caravan. My first, my first, my first set of wheels. The Green John Snow. Yes, the Green John Snow. That's better. <laughs> uh, Loren McNabb. What about you? This was about a two-week ordeal, so I didn't own the car. But I, this comes back. I told a story about South Africa yesterday. I was living in Zimbabwe. My sister and a friend came to visit, and so we rented this car from a friend of a friend, the Peugeot. And we were going to drive to Cape Town and back. And everyone told us, first of all, we were insane. We're in our early 20s. Don't do it. There was a high, really high crime rate in South Africa at the time. And I think it was like if you stop at a red light, you have a one in five chance of a carjacking and all sorts of just, you know, really scary things. And they said, Two, women, should, you just shouldn't be doing this. So we did. We ignored them. Cross into South Africa. Day one, alternate your belt goes on the car. Day three, approaching Durban, the gas station attendant puts petrol in the diesel car and the engine seizes up and we're stuck on the side of the highway hoping that we get someone good stops to help us out. Thankfully, someone did. A couple days later, we're going through around the Port Elizabeth. The windshield wipers stop working in the middle of a rainstorm and I have to stick my head out the window and keep wiping off the window while my sister is driving because we didn't want to stop. Get to Cape Town, have a few days where it's uh, we're relaxing, trying not to stress. By this point, we started calling it the Povra Peugeot, you know, poor. I think maybe that's the word. And then when we're leaving, something else went wrong. The engine seized up in Pretoria. By the time I get back to Harare, we were ready to light this car on fire. If you ever even show me a picture of a Peugeot, I will be just, you will no longer be my friend. And hearing that word right now makes me cringe because it was about 14 straight days of every other day thinking, well, today we die. That was basically how that trip went. So that's my story. <laughs> wow. wow. That is some serious disdain. Well done. Uh, Greg, we've got uh, about 45 seconds. Well, you know, all I'm going to say is uh, my brothers and I pooled together 500 bucks back in 1996 for a 1986, 85. I don't even know what year this Ford Capri was. It's the Mustang knockoff. We called it the crappy because it was just a horrible vehicle. It got us around from point A to point B for about seven months. And then one day my brother took it to the grocery store. It wouldn't start. He took everything out of it, took the license plates off of it and left it in the parking lot. And that was the end of the crappy. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You gave me, you gave me, that, you gave me 30 seconds. It's just called the crappy. That was the end of the crappy. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Oh boy, are we getting some great stories at 204-780-6868 about your worst cars. And we will share some of them throughout the morning on the start. And we're going to have lots of fun taking that stroll down memory lane. But we want to get right into this here. Because 
we we need to know. We were wondering, will Manitoba follow in the footsteps of Ontario, who have hit pause on the AstraZeneca vaccine? And how do you feel about that move in Ontario if you're someone who has already taken, like the three of us, that first dose here? Yeah, so we know Ontario is halting first doses of AstraZeneca amid an increased risk in rare blood clots linked to the shot. That decision comes after Alberta made a similar move. In that case, they said it's primarily because of the vaccine's dwindling supply in that province. But we all want to know what to make of all this. And so so often throughout this past year, we've turned to epidemiologist Cynthia Carr, founder of Epi Research. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. So how do you dissect Ontario's decision? I think it's a really important um a statement to sort of really think about what you just said, Loren, that yes, there's there's an increased uh, risk, but it's very rare. Um, and I think that it's confusing when people hear that increase and then very rare together because we kind of discount the very rare and we focus on the increase. So there, you know, this is a very serious uh, uh, outcome that can occur, uh, these uh, very rare blood clots, um, but it's still somewhere around one in 100,000 at the most. We had thought it was 101 in 250,000. Um, so it's still very, very rare, but it can be confusing for people. And my concern is also what you just mentioned about the million Canadians that have already taken the AstraZeneca vaccine and that now might be thinking, what does this mean for me? Cynthia, I've done my best in my, if I was giving myself a grade on studying the science and the facts uh, around COVID-19 and uh, also these different vaccinations that are, have been created, I, you know, I don't know if I could give myself an A, but a B for sure, at mm-hmm. least for the effort to try and learn uh, what's going on, what's been happening over the last 15 months, which data is key to pay attention to, all the different conversations we've had with you over the over the past 15 months with regard to the data and which is most important. And then we could go on and on with the qualifiers, but I'm also an emotional per- person. So I was proud to get the, the vaccine when it was available to me. I sat on the fence a little bit thinking, well, maybe somebody else uh, that that isn't working from home, a whole variety of qualifiers that I thought about, maybe I should let somebody else get this vaccine. All that said, I, I, I can't help but, but wonder if I didn't do the right homework here. And when somebody like that is, like me is saying that, there's going to be ramifications across the country because this is emotional for a lot of people. I, I understand that, and and I think that the conversation that we're having in the science community is important, and feeds into that is, you know, the skill set of of public health communication is not an easy one, and being a scientist uh, doesn't mean that uh, everyone is good at, at at communicating. And unfortunately, what has happened is that yes, there there are some safety signals with AstraZeneca, but this vaccine is being used in 135 countries in the world. It is an excellent vaccine, uh, as are, are some are the other ones that are approved in Canada. It is excellent. It is safe for the vast majority of people. COVID-19 is not safe 
for many people end up in the hospital and end up uh, dying or long-term impact. It's much safer still to get vaccinated, but I do understand that this is confusing messaging. But what I would encourage Canadians also to remember, as I've said before, is this is a sign that our safety system is working, but it doesn't mean that if you have taken AstraZeneca, you've done the wrong thing. Part of the gift of being in a developed country with money like Canada is that there are other options for other vaccines where, you know, if there are concerns, there can be a pause on one uh, and other vaccines used. It's not unusual for uh, you know, different vaccines to uh, be developed and, and uh, kind of become the vaccine that is used and, an, and a different vaccine uh, not used anymore. But it doesn't mean that you or others that have taken AstraZeneca did the wrong thing. Uh, you did the right thing. It is a highly effective vaccine. Um, so you did the right thing. I know the risk is rare with AstraZeneca, but are we seeing, like I haven't Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I I don't recall seeing any such headlines concerning Pfizer or Moderna regarding associated risks. So we did hear headlines in the beginning, if you remember, uh, with uh, people that had very serious food allergies, uh, had some anaphylaxis reactions after uh, Pfizer. Um, but, you know, in Canada, of 14 million doses administered, we've had less than 4,000 adverse events reported, and those are mostly like sight pain, not serious events, and 750 that are a little more serious. And if you look at Health Canada website, because for transparency, it's all there, they are ranked. So there's been about 2,000 uh, events for Pfizer, uh, about 1,800 for Moderna. And when I'm looking at the graph right now, much, much fewer for AstraZeneca, but of course it's been used much less. So that data is there on Health Canada website, but again, for the most part, the adverse events uh, are kind of site pain. And for the more serious events re related to Pfizer and Moderna, it is that kind of anaphylaxis, extremely rare. And it's typically in people that have very severe food allergies, very, very rare. Cynthia, just 30 seconds here. So when it comes to that second shot, I know that it continues to evolve. Uh, what are we seeing in terms of what the advice has been in other countries when it comes to mixing and matching or sticking with the second shot? One thing we're hearing from people this morning is that the second dose of AstraZeneca is supposed to come with far less concerns. Is that correct so far based on what we know? That's a really important point to end on there, Loren, is that the risk occurs uh, in the first shot. The person... Um, a person doesn't tend to react to something the second time that they didn't the first time. There is research right now, the United Kingdom going on. We're expecting those results within the next month of about 2,000 participants in a trial uh, looking at mixing uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. So that uh, information will be uh, coming in on the scientific side of mixing uh, different vaccines. Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist, founder of Epi Research. Thank you so much uh, for helping us navigate through these sometimes murky waters. You're very welcome. Mackling McGarry McNabb, getting lots of feedback on AstraZeneca. Keep your vaccine texts coming, 204-780-6868. We appreciate all of your respectful feedback. But we're also getting a lot of great stories on your worst cars. 
$20 gift card. Santa Lucia Pizza up for grabs. We're giving it away at 9.15. Listen to what Don P. has to say. My first car, a 56 Chevy Biscayne. There were four memorable moments with it. It was rusty, but it got me from home to college and to work. Coming out of school one night, went to drive away, and I heard this metal scraping sound. I thought something was stuck underneath. Did a quick check. Nothing. Started again. Same sound. Turns out (laughs) someone stole both rear wheels. (laughs) (laughs) So that will make it a little hard to drive. (laughs) Second time, I was driving my brother and rounded a left corner and his door flew open. I was fortunate enough to be able to grab him by his belt. (laughs) Turns out the lock was broken. Third time, coming home from work, going down a hill, when the cabin filled with oil smoke, turns out the engine was burning oil and the rust was so bad that the exhaust oil smoke came in through the rear fender. Uh, My solution was to extend the exhaust pipe beyond the bumper. This lasted until for the fourth memorable time I could afford to rebuild the engine. Thanks for listening, Don. Thanks for sharing, Don. Why did you keep that car for so long? I get that you rebuilt the engine, but that's a lot of... eh. Just one time. This is two times. Three times I've had some. I've had maybe four problems, guys. Just I, maybe four near-death experiences, and it's fine. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Sounds of the game coming up at 7.55 in our weekly Jets chat coming up in just a moment but i gotta read this text from jay because we're asking you to text us about your worst car and jay says when i was 20 i bought a car 2004 hyundai tiburon v6 that was a year old at the time and hid it from my parents while living with them i put it down the street in the direction of the bus stop to keep my cover it worked for about a month until we had that massive New Year's snow- snowstorm in 05. And the police came to my door to politely ask me to move it so the road could be cleared. I'll never forget my mom's face when she heard me say yes to their identifying questions. Her fury could stop time in that moment. I'm glad she loves the heck out of me right now. Because she turned to both officers and barked out to the both of them. One of the officers wished me good luck realizing the situation before leaving. I was handed a shovel and was instructed to dig out that piece of and not to even think about asking a neighbor for help. The worst was when my dad came home, pulled the auto trader out of the trash and asked, didn't I specifically tell you not to buy this? I'm glad I'm here to tell the story. Hopefully karma doesn't come back at it in the form of unruly children. (laughs) Oh, that is great. Thank that, Jay. There's no question it's coming back in the form of unruly children. I can can guarantee it. (laughs) So keep your... Amazing stories coming at 204-780-6868. This is going to be tough to pick a winner this morning for that Santa Lucia pizza gift card. $20 worth at 9.15. In the meantime, the Winnipeg Jets celebrated a couple of different ways last night. Yeah, not only did Connor Hellebuck collect his fourth shutout of the season, Blake Wheeler had a four-point night. And of course, Paul Stastny played his 1,000th career game. The Jets now have one regular season game remaining. That goes Friday night versus Toronto and Loren. I said in our chat last night, if the Jets don't win tonight, they have no heart, no soul, based on the celebration for Stastny's 1,000th game. 
Five nothing is a pretty good response. Yeah, and Paul Stastny's family, former and current teammates, they all took center stage before the start of last night's game. And I think there might, might be many, Greg, who said really that win shows a reflection of how they feel about him and maybe was for him. That's how I'm selling it anyway. Ken Weeb covers the Jets for Sportsnet and joins us now. Good morning, Ken. Yes, good morning, uh, Loren and company. Uh, that's a tough story to beat, but uh, thanks for having me on. I like that you just said Loren and company. Can we just reflect on that for a moment, <laughs> Brett and Greg? Because they were mocking Richard Cloutier for not even saying their names the other day. He said Loren and company. I think we got a new name for the show. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to derail this, Ken. But that's that's what I'm thinking right now. In the meantime, so of course, Paul's the first player to play his 1,000th game in the Jets 2.0 jersey. A really extraordinary night for him. But let's talk about how special of a player he is to that team and what he might mean to the team, Ken. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, he's a special person also. You could tell what it really meant to him in terms of sharing his emotions. And this is a guy who is not really comfortable when it comes to the limelight, but uh, he's a player that everyone wants to play with. Uh, I always spoke with a bunch of former teammates and coaches leading up to the event, and uh, he's just universally loved. I mean, I think you'd have a hard time finding someone around the NHL to say a bad word about Paul Stastny. And, uh, I mean, again, just the way that he reflected with Having his having his wife and children there, and having you know the message read on the on the big screen from his parents. I mean, uh, this is a guy who loves the game more than anything, uh, and he's been a great connector, is how I like to refer to him as. I mean, he's a guy who who connects with every player on the roster, and he's a guy that everyone wants to play with because he's so incredibly brilliantly smart, uh, and he's been really effective for the Jets as well this year. So it's a pretty good combination, and and you're right, they sort of tapped into that reservoir of emotion at a time where. Uh, things have been really tough for them in the previous 10 games. Blake Wheeler has to be one of the Jets players for them to have success. Wheeler addressed Stastny on behalf of the team in the pregame celebrations. Did we see the ability of Blake Wheeler to lead his team to a desired result last night? Yeah, Brett, I mean, Blake's been playing better lately. I think that's now points in seven of his last eight games. And again, the four-point explosion was important for him, but also the bursts of speed that we've seen. I mean, we saw it uh, the other night as well when, when he when he came out of the penalty box against the Flames, not 4 nothing win. And then last night, obviously, the, the four-point night is something we haven't seen a lot of, especially with all four of those goal or points coming at 5-on-5, five five, which has been an area where that line had occasionally had some difficulty in. So Kyle Connor scoring twice, you know, in as many games is important as well, and Mark Schleife getting involved. That Jets top line uh, was under quite a bit of scrutiny when it was reunited, but uh, they've done a nice job at both ends of the ice, and now the true test will come. Can they do it against Connor McDavid? But uh, great leadership for sure from Wheeler, uh, who also it was revealed, uh, you know, we ex- suspected he was playing injured earlier, but the fact that he played through those two cracked ribs earlier this year was was a bit of a revelation. Let's talk about another Connor for a moment, if we can, Ken. We know the Jets will play the Oilers in the playoffs. Lots of time to set that up. Connor Hellebuck has two shutouts now in his last three starts. To be generous, Hellebuck has had a few misadventures outside his goal crease uh, in the last little bit. Where is his game right now in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, the two shutouts obviously very important for him. I know, we know it's been sort of a, an interesting year for sure. I mean, he had been pulled two of, the, you know, two of, the, two of his previous starts uh, you know not in a row consecutively but uh, it had been a bit of an up and down stretch for Hellbuck for sure we know he's been had a heavy workload but I think he's feeling great about his game I know there was some concern about whether you know when his blocker came off the other day after you know uh, you know his hand he 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 dismissed that quite heavily when I asked him about it going from uh, his medical analysis from mild sprain to just a mild jam but uh, the Jets need elite level goaltending 
Connor Hellebuck can provide that, and he's been very solid. We know it was against a depleted roster last night and against you know two non-playoff mm-hmm. teams, but uh, we know he's highly motivated to have success in the playoffs, and I think he's embracing this opportunity to A, go up against Mike Smith, who's been great in the North Division this year for the Oilers, and B, uh, he's tired of hearing how great Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have been against him. So uh, a highly motivated and now rested Connor Hellebuck uh, is quite an extraordinary weapon uh, for the Jets, and they're going to need him to be at the top of his game. Ken, a lot was made, you know, the last few weeks with the Jets slide when they were in that losing streak about Paul Maurice. And what I thought was also fascinating last night was the comments Paul Statsny had to make about the coach and just the motivator he is in the locker room. And, and of course, Paul has all this wealth and depth of experience to draw upon in different coaches he's had over the years. Is that a telling sign about the room still having that positive response to their coach? For sure. I mean, we know that there's a segment of social media and, and listeners as well that, that have wondered if, if, if the time has run out, for lack of a better term, uh, in Paul Maurice's tenure. We know he's the second longest tenured head coach in the NHL, and, and that means you're usually closer to the end of your time than the beginning. But uh, yeah, we know that Paul's a great communicator, and I mean, he has displayed that level of calmness at a time where we know it's been an emotional time. Blake Wheeler saying it's the most adverse situation he's been in in his career. But uh, yeah, he's always had that ability to, to kind of strike a chord with his players. And I think uh, the fact that they haven't abandoned their uh, defensive structure in the stretch where it would have been really difficult to score goals, to me that was a telltale sign that, that he hasn't lost the room in air quotes. So... Uh, you know, you know, it's not every day uh, you hear someone compare a speech ability to Winston Churchill. So, but again, it's all about results, and I think that the Paul Maurice has, has done a job of keeping his group together at a time that has been an emotionally, uh, you know, distressing time, if you will. But ultimately, they're going to need some results uh, in the postseason here. Ken, uh, thanks for this. We appreciate it very much. Uh, do you have a bad car story? Have you got a what was your worst car you ever had living in? Uh... The uh, hinterland out in Altona, I mean, you had to have dependable transportation, right? Yeah, you know what? I've been pretty fortunate. I didn't have many cars, and I didn't really have uh, any lemons, so I I can't contribute to that area. I I was always had a little bit of success with my cars, so uh, I I can't help in that regard, and and I'm not and I'm not hiding things here. I I I just had a good run of vehicles, I guess. Was was lucky. Lucky indeed. Golfer and a terrific uh, car picker. What a great. What, what a great guy you are, Ken. We love Do what so I can. Have a, have a great day. And, and Lorena, happy, happy to rename the show whenever possible. Let's cue up that clip. I'm dropping it in right now. Top of production, Brett. Oh, yeah? Come on. It's not loading. <laughs> this, is, this is the karma. This is bad karma. It's, I literally got a spinning wheel of death. All right. Well, apparently... Won't be Loren and company for disconnect two. Loren's computer from the system. <laughs> they heard me say this is an ideal name for the show. Well, what are you going to do? Ken Weeb covers the Jets Still for spinning. Sportsnet. And thank you for the time, Ken. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a great day, guys. Appreciate it. Was it this clip? Tomorrow morning with Loren and company <laughs> on the start. <laughs> that's one. And then we can back that up with Ken. We just need three people. I think that's the rule in life. If three people say it, it's a thing. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, just a reminder that 680 CJOB and Sleep Country want to thank nurses for their selfless work 
in caring for our communities. If this past year has reinforced anything, it is our gratitude and appreciation for our real-life heroes, nurses. So for National Nurses Week, and today's International Nurses Day, by the way, Sleep Country not only wants to thank nurses for their selfless work and caring for our communities, but also encourage Canadians everywhere to nominate a nurse whom they want to celebrate and recognize. So you can nominate a nurse in your life who you appreciate, and you both could win a $250 Sleep Country gift card. Winners will be contacted Monday, May 17th, live right here on The Start. So you just go to cjob.com, find the contest page, and you enter there. It's just that easy. In the meantime, remote learning starts this morning in Winnipeg and Brandon. Yeah, and for thousands of parents, that, of course, means the last few days since we learned Sunday that this was happening... Well, they've been spending them trying to figure out how they'll manage. And at 6.15 this morning, we introduced you to Lucy. She's a single mom. She has one kid in elementary school, meaning that daughter is home today. And Lucy really has no idea what she should do this morning. Does she go to work, pay someone to watch her kids for the next few weeks? In her situation, that costs her in the long run. Or should she quit, take sick leave, access in unemployment insurance or other, and stay home with her kids? When I spoke to her earlier this week, she was reeling. I couldn't think straight because it's too sudden. It just happened. So it's like frustrating as a single mom. So what are her options? What are options for others who may find themselves without work again in this latest lockdown? Sandra Sandra Guevara-Wolgin is with the Community Unemployed Help Centre and joins us now. Sandra, good morning. Good morning. Let's start with Lucy's situation. Last year, her employer worked with her so she could collect CERB. Is that or some version of it still an option? Uh, yes, it, it would all depend uh, right now on, on what's, what's Lucy's job. Like if, it's, if, if she's a frontline worker or considered essential worker, um, the schools and daycares are offering uh, to accept those children uh, to go in person to the schools. So that that childcare piece would be covered if she's considered essential worker. So they don't need to quit their jobs or ask for a leave. Um, as an employment insurance advocate for like 13 years now, uh, I I am I am hesitant to advise people to quit their jobs because even though it's it's true that you can get EI if you quit uh, a job. Uh, however, it's not easy, right? It's in very exceptional cases. So um, if there's, uh, in, in the case of Lucy, if she is not considered a frontline worker uh, or essential worker, but she doesn't have any childcare arrangements for their kids, for her kids, then she can uh, request a leave, a leave of absence from work, and apply for the Canada Response Caregiver Benefit through CRA, not through EI, through CRA. So what they're going to look at is uh, whether or not um, the, uh, the, the usual childcare arrangements that in this case would be the school, right, or the daycare, um, are not available, are shut down. So she has no other choice but to stay at home with her kids. So she would still have an income. But it all depends on the type of work she does. How common is her situation? Well, um, unfortunately, very common as a mother of two. 
uh, I'm blessed that I can work from home. So uh, in my case, the impact hasn't been that serious. But uh, all like every parent uh, has this has had this in the back of their minds. Um, and yes, it is difficult if you if you have only kids that are on uh, you know in school age. So you have managed to have them maybe on the after uh, before and after a program school uh, at school that now it's not available then yes, it is a huge problem. And that's why the federal government uh, created this special benefit, the caregiver benefit, for these kinds of situations, right? But, but in, in the, particularly in Manitoba, it will, it will apply only if you are not considered an essential worker. Because if, basically, if you are an essential worker, then nothing changes for you. Everything stays the same and kids still go to school and to daycare. That's one of the challenges, I think. So she is a health care aide. So in theory, that falls under health service, you know, uh, teachers, uh, sports staff, yes. law enforcement, corrections. They're all considered critical care. But she's looking into mm-hmm. that right now for her situation. But yes. in the meantime, yes. we know we know that there have been daycares doing things differently. One might answer one way. Yep. No problem. Come on in. And the other might not. And so it's not necessarily this uniform response, yes. Sandra. And that's part of the problem through all of this and that's no fault of anyone per se but everyone's trying to analyze definitions yes. differently yes. yeah in, in the case of lucy if she's a home if she's considered an essential worker she can keep her old routine of of uh, of their kids going her kids going to school or to daycare nothing has changed the only thing that i think has changed is a transportation uh in the case of seven oaks that's where my kids go um the the buses are not running so that's the only change that 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 parents would have to drop them off uh and pick them up and leave them at a daycare if they have an after school program right um and again if there's no completely right an ideal situation i understand that however um it's also for us and i'm part of the board of my daycare so i know firsthand the problem is that the, the, the provincial government, for example, has left the decision of accepting or not kids uh, um, in, in the full-time program at school age and up to the daycare, meaning that the daycare is deciding whether or not they're going to accept kids before and after school, right? And many daycares have said, you know what, the recommendation from Dr. Rusin is that no, kids that are homeschooling that are remote, uh, remotely learning, right, shouldn't go to before and after a daycare. Sandra Guevara Olguin is with the Community Unemployed Help Centre joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sandra, thank you very much for this. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza, your worst car stories, because after 9.30, we're going to talk about how not to overspend when buying your next car. Loren Max, one of our many runners-up. Yeah, texted to say, my son was 16 and bought his first car, a Saab 9000 Turbo. Brought it home and insisted on taking his mom for a ride. She was in her nightgown, reluctantly ventured away from the warm fire. 30 minutes later, I look out the window and see them pulling up in front of the house, she was pushing. Cam was steering as it had broken down on Portage. She was delighted to hear that 20 years later, he bought a new car for his wife, who's expecting their first son 
any day. Cheers, Max. Thanks for that story. <laughs> Jay is our winner. We shared this earlier, but in case you missed it, this had us all in stitches. Jay says, when I was 20, I bought a car, 2004 Hyundai Tiburon V6. That was a year old at the time. And I hid it from my parents while living with them. I parked it down the street in the direction of the bus stop to keep my cover. It worked for about a month until we had that massive New Year's snowstorm in 05. And the police came to my door to politely ask me to move it so the road could be cleared. I'll never forget my mom's face when she heard me say yes to their identifying questions. Her fury could stop time in that moment. She turned to both officers and barked out to the both of them. One of the officers wished me good luck realizing the situation before leaving. I was handed a shovel and was instructed to dig out that piece of garbage and not to even think about asking a neighbor for help. The worst was when my dad came home, pulls the auto trader out of the trash and says, didn't I specifically tell you not to buy this? Jay, congratulations. You are our winner. But Greg, Tim just added a a second thought here, another runner-up because his text ties into Jay's. Yeah, he says, I don't want to one-up, Jay, but it reminded me uh, when I was four days late paying my parking in the apartment where I lived with my mom. The landlord came up to my mom and said, you paid your rent, but you still owe $150 for parking. My mother says, uh, parking? I have one car. Landlord (laughs) says, yeah, but your son has five cars (laughs) in the corner of the parkade. My mom looks at me, five cars? He's only 15. Yeah, all that on 155 Winnipeg Sun newspaper route budget. Well done, Tim. Thanks for sharing a laugh with us this morning. So many great stories that we could not read on the air, but we read them all. They were so, so good. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, question of the day at CJOB.com. If you could get the AstraZeneca vaccine or wait for the Pfizer or the Moderna what would you do? And so far at CJOB.com, we've got 73% saying wait, 27% say take the AstraZeneca. We've also added a little caveat. If you've already had one, uh, just pretend you haven't. So you can cast your vote at CJOB.com or on Twitter at 680CJOB, as well as on Instagram as well. Last time I checked Twitter, it was at 50-50. So a uh, real horse race there. But uh, as it pertains to the vaccine, Greg, oh, and by the way, question of the day is for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. But on subject of the vaccine, Greg, uh, some good news from uh, our friends at the BNC. Correct. Heads up. As yesterday, we told you about a pop-up vaccination clinic at the BNC. Well, guess what? They have more vaccine available today. They opened at 930. So if you live or work in the area, you know exactly where they are. Broadway Neighborhood Center, 185 Young Street. And uh, shout out to Spatch for uh, letting us know about this. They went through all that vaccine yesterday. He's got 100 or they have 100 doses right now expecting more as they make their way through the day. So uh, thanks again to the BNC and the work they're doing in the community. So we've been talking all morning about your worst cars, and it has to do with what we're about to talk about now. The real estate market in most markets across the country is red hot. Winnipeg, of course, Loren, no exception. And we bring that up because I think when many people purchase a home, it will go down or has gone down as the largest single purchase they'll ever make. That's how it is for a majority of people. But there's also another group where the largest purchase they'll make, Greg, is a vehicle. And we want to get into now the the big differences between these two really massive purchases. 
Yes. Good friend of the start is financial educator and award-winning author, Kelly Keene. Kelly's latest book is Talk Money to Me, How to Spend. I think that's an ode to poison. We'll have to ask her how to spend, save, and feel good about your money during COVID and other times of financial distress. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, my friends. Great to be with you. So talk money to me. Is that, were you a big poison fan when you were a teenager or what? (laughs) Uh, no, that was actually my publisher's doing, but uh, I, I liked a little poison growing up, you know, a little bit. Yeah, you got to <laughs> like that. So I think I know the answer you're looking for on this, but what is the biggest difference in the purchase of a vehicle and a home in terms of representation? 100%. And, and I loved what Loren was saying exactly. Like you go into buying a home with a realtor, probably a mortgage broker, talking to your financial planner. And people, not all, not all for sure, but a lot of people can be a little flippant when they're, you know, uh, buying their vehicle and they don't really think out the financing or what type of car they're getting. They rush into the dealership and have a lot of decisions made for them by the the salesperson. Uh, And I don't know about you guys, but like when I was growing up, there was a ton of used cars on the road. Like, I mean, my first car, I I wasn't able to listen to your show this morning about what you're talking about with cars, but man, my my $500 beater that I bought when I was 16 years old, I mean, it was in somewhat good company. You almost never see a vehicle like that now in Canada. But you know what, guys? It's like pre-pandemic, if you were down in the U.S., you do see a lot more used cars down there. So it kind of is a very um, Canadian specific thing to be in a very shiny, big, expensive vehicle, much more than our our friends down south. That might just come down to financing, Kelly. I mean, I'm just thinking right now, I don't know if I've ever purchased a new car. It's always been used, but that's just kind of the way I, you know, I've always thought of it growing up. And now so much has changed. You have all the financing questions that are in place, but also we were just doing this last night just for fun. It's an era where you can buy a car online and click yes, put a whole deposit down on it. And we were just kind of just having some fun looking at different cars yesterday. We're not in the market, but it's hard given that online nature to potentially avoid making a big purchase like that, perhaps to nonchalantly, right? I mean, you still have to make some big decisions before you purchase that car. Yeah, online um, is great for research, but yes, can get us into a little bit of trouble. Um, you can buy a house in another province, sight unseen. So we, we definitely want to be careful there. But yeah, there's so when it comes to financing, I mean, that's really what drives our economy, right? Low interest rate, um, low interest rates, and the ability to buy more than you need. And again, like a number of years ago, it was pretty common that a car loan was three years. Then it got extended to, you know, 60 months. Now it's up at 84 months. And just again, to give you context, that's five, like Canadians are taking these long-term car loans at five times the rate that Americans are. And it's, it is alarming and it's concerning. And why is that? Because at the end of this 84 months, um, you know, you actually are probably going to trade your car in before your car loan actually is paid off. And the problem with that is it means that you're refinancing every single time car, you know, more, more loan than the car. 
so that's, you know, unlike a home that you generally, a house or a condo that you hope is going to appreciate, we know that a car does anything but. It depreciates the second that you drive it off the lot. So therein lies the problem in taking these long loans, regardless if the interest rate is low or not, um, can be troubling. Now, I know if I go into a grocery store hungry, I am going to make some bad decisions. Sour cream and bacon ruffles, let's go. Uh, Is there a similar line of thought when making a large purchase like a car? Oh, Brett, you make a very good point. And yes, my characters in the book, Dave and Melissa, did exactly that. They went shopping with their kids. They went car shopping, tired and hungry. And there is a rule of reciprocity. Doesn't sound like much, but you know, when you go to the grocery store and or the big box store and they've got the samples, they've got some cheese, some something that they're giving you for free. Trust me, salespeople do exactly the same thing. That cup of coffee that they greet you with on a cold day or that ice cold uh, bottle of water on a hot, you know, warm afternoon or some pretzels for your kids to settle them down because they're cranky and hungry. Those little acts of kindness uh, are very well thought out because it starts to enact that rule of reciprocity. You were given something, now you owe that salesperson, that dealership, that grocery store something. So just be alert and be aware that the next time a salesperson or a store offers you something, you may feel that you actually are obliged to buy, to purchase from them. Uh, and it, it happens more than, than you might think. Also, Kelly, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're here today, actually, on this, because I'm considering replacing my automobile later this year. And I'm interested in the 2022 Honda Civic, specifically that one, because they've redesigned it. So two questions for you on that. I'll ask the first, and then I'll follow up after. Is it bad to get a brand new car? Oh, no, not at all. It is not bad at all. But you want to do your due diligence for yourself. You want to make sure you can afford it. You want to really first shop out, Greg, you know, the car that you're buying, uh, making sure that you are, are, you know, not tired, not hungry when you're going to the dealership. And you've already researched those add-ons. Like, what is it? Because here's the thing, you know, when you're in the throes of, I don't know how much your Honda Civic is, but let's say it's $45,000. I'm not sure. When you're in, you know, the heat of that and it's like, hey, do you want this stereo system for $5,000? It's like, yeah, of course I do. I'm spending 45000 What's five? Now, what if you drove off the lot and three weeks later somebody says, I have a car stereo for you for $5,000? It's much less likely you would buy the same thing when you have some space afterwards when you purchase the vehicle. So you want to be careful about those extra features. And then, Greg, I want you to shop the financing before you ever step foot in the dealership. Well, that's Talk to your bank, all of that type of stuff. And that's the second question. What's better, finance or lease? Well, it all depends on your situation. It depends if you're self-employed, if you're commissioned, if you're able to rate some of that vehicle off. Is it going to be 100% personal use? depends on your tax situation. So that's where you might call up your accountant friend and find out which is the best. And then remember, too, the lease is going to generally be a much lower monthly payment. So that sometimes can be a little bit too enticing for people to buy more car than they can actually afford because they're looking at that lease payment. So all, all important questions that you need to space out the decision-making 
ideally not in one <laughs> one afternoon. That's where people get in trouble. I never thought about that rule of res- res- How did you say it? Rule of reciprocity. It's very easy for you to say. Yes. <laughs> My wife's grandfather always had a saying, if somebody's trying to give you something for free, get as little of it as possible. I think that maybe uh, that uh, adage holds true in this situation. Kelly, thank you 100%. for this. And one more time, the book is Talk Money to Me, How to Spend, Save and Feel Good About Your Money During COVID-19 and Other times of financial distress. It's been far too long since we spoke to you. We'll make sure the next visit is a much shorter duration in between. All right. Thanks, friends. Greg, Greg, Lauren, Brett. So, so great to be with you. Thanks, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.